Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock. By my watch means it is time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you with us. I am Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045. That is your gateway to get here. The gatekeeper, my producer, behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight is Ryan Mudd. I am blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize that you are as well. If that statement made you kind of perk up. Hit me up on Twitter at jmartzone. Would love to discuss it further with you. I'm going to talk about Rick Bird in the next segment, play some of the audio that uh, various folks have, have come through with today, including Rick Bird himself, who has announced his retirement after 33 years at the helm of Belmont. But I do want to lead off and talk about the Final Four and the Elite Eight. This was as good an Elite Eight as I've had in my lifetime, the best one that I can remember. And it comes because of something that I've talked about on this show before, which is the NCAA tournament. You kind of want chaos early. You want to just throw your bracket in the trash because it's fun on that Thursday and Friday. But then you start to realize, man, who are we going to be watching in the second week of this tournament in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight? Because as you get further in the tournament, you want the Blue Bloods out there. You know, you need Kentucky on that wall. You need Duke on that wall. You need North Carolina on that wall, as if Robert Jessup was the one testifying. But a funny thing happened. You get a great Elite Eight with a ton of chalk, and now you're getting a Final Four that does not have that. I guess I should take a bow here. I said Duke was not going to make the Final Four. I said it before the ACC tournament started, before any of the conference tournaments started. And I said the reason why is because they don't shoot three-pointers well enough And that in crunch time, R.J. Barrett can become a black hole, the likes of which you kind of see with like a Carmelo Anthony back in the day in the NBA. Whereas he's the guy that wants to shoot and can't stop himself. And for some reason, he's the one that shoots them out of games. And again, yesterday, even though he certainly played well and had 21 points, he went 7 for 17. Zion Williamson was 10 for 19, but Zion Williamson didn't get touches down the stretch in that final minute, crucially, when he needed to. Zion got everything that he wanted, basically, when he was down on the low block. And you were impressed watching Duke play basketball, but R.J. Barrett throughout the season has been the guy that's taking the volume of the shots, which is why I wouldn't want him on my NBA team because that's all he does. As good a passer as he is, he doesn't really want to pass. He wants to shoot. And so he's going to be a volume shooter and not an efficient one in the NBA, and if you look at the rest of his skill set, he's probably going to play the three. I don't think that he's going to fit 
into the two mode in the NBA. But he's not good at stealing the basketball. He's not a particularly good rebounder of the basketball. He doesn't commit to defense the way that you would want someone in his position to commit to defense. Almost all of his measurables, if you look at draft scouting, are poor for his position and his size, except for how he shoots the basketball, because he shoots it a ton. So he will fit into the NBA, and he will probably score some points, but he's also going to give you a lot of empty possessions. And don't you have to go down? If you're Duke, you have to go down with the ball in Zion Williamson's hands. It's that simple. He's the best college prospect in two decades at least. I mean, this is Shaquille O'Neal 2.0. You can go even further back if you want to. His skill set and what he is capable of doing is unbelievable. And I said I thought John Morant would have a better NBA career because of the way the NBA is structured. And I also said I might be wrong. And I also said that both those guys are probably going to be all-stars, meaning him and Zion. And I still believe that. But I'm watching Zion make threes when he had to in this game at times. He was two for six from three. But he does have a decent three from the short corner. I still want to see more of a mid-range game. And he's not a good free throw shooter. And he wasn't a good free throw shooter again yesterday. He was two for five. I don't do math for a living, but that's 40%. That's not very good. This team's not a good three-point shooting team. And I said eventually that would doom them. Now, interestingly enough, they shot 33% in this game. They were even worse in the game against Virginia Tech, except for Trey Jones. Trey Jones was five for seven. The rest of that team was one for 13, I believe, from three. But they still were able to beat Virginia Tech. And they actually shot better from three than Michigan State did in this game. 31.6 for the Spartans, 33.3 for Duke. And it was 7 for 21 and 6 for 19. A lot of that was because guys were afraid of Zion Williamson. There were a couple of moments in that second half where dudes wearing Spartan jerseys would turn around and they would look like they were going to go for a shot and they would recognize that number one in the white jersey was somewhere in the vicinity and they would like get gun shy like a deer in headlights and they would hold on to the rock and they would look around like they were looking for an outlet and then they would just get the ball out of their hands. Like that was incredible. He changed the game in so many different facets. I think he's going to be an outstanding pro, and I hope I'm wrong. And I, I, I am starting to believe, yeah, I think he can probably develop a mid-range jump shot. If he can, and if he can bring his free throw shooting up, I mean, look out. There's nothing else that's wrong with his game. His post moves, his explosiveness, his first step for his size, his athleticism, and certainly his leaping ability are great. Now, at 6'8", when he goes into the NBA, he's still kind of a tall tree and he's got this unicorn mentality when it comes to college basketball. But in the NBA, there are guys that are bigger and are just as skilled. Durant is taller. Giannis is taller. There are a lot of guys that are going to cause him trouble, and he's going to have some rookie woes. But I can't wait to watch him. And he's probably going to command the highest shoe endorsement deal we've ever seen, especially for a new player coming into the league. But, but I continue to go back and I say, R.J. Barrett is the way you lose these games. I said it against Virginia Tech. I thought the same thing against Central Florida, and I certainly thought it yesterday against Michigan State because R.J. Barrett is going to shoot. If you give him the basketball, he is going to look to shoot. He's going to take a bad three from the top of the key, which he did in the final minute. Zion, there was at least one possession there in that final minute where Zion didn't get a touch. That's inexcusable. And you know what? It's not just on R.J. Barrett. A lot of people go after Calipari, and they talk about, oh, he's only won one championship. The stat from Aaron Torres of Fox that I tweeted out at Jmart Zone a couple of days ago is the one that really stands out to me, and that is that Coach Cal in 10 years 
in Lexington at the helm of the University of Kentucky, which just offered him a lifetime contract today to try and make sure he doesn't leave for UCLA. He has made seven Elite Eights in 10 years at Kentucky with mercenaries playing on his team. You can say, yeah, well, he's playing with the best team, best team in the world. No, he's not. He's playing with guys that have to gel every single year. I think he's underrated as a coach, just like I think Roy Williams is incredibly overrated as a game day coach. People came at me hard last March, last March, meaning 2018, when I said that I thought Roy Williams was by no means an elite X's and O's game day coach, that he's an elite recruiter, that he's a great motivator, that he seems to be a great guy and people love to play for him. But I don't see the adjustments and just the elite style on the floor, on the side. Nothing he does on the sidelines blows me away. Cal, you can probably put sort of in that way. But Cal gets the most out of a different squad almost every year. And that is a unique talent. You can say, well, I could get that out of you know, all of these NBA prospects as well. Well, can you? Because there are a lot of, there are a lot of coaches that don't know how to manage talent. But Coach K deserves some blame here because Coach K has got to tell R.J. Barrett, son, you are a great basketball player. You're going to be a great pro. You're a great kid. And by the way, I do think that R.J. Barrett is a good kid. I've heard him do interviews. He loves to shoot the basketball, and he's an offensive-minded player. It's just that simple. But Coach K's got to say, look, it's got to go through Zion. Ball's got to go through the post. Even if he's going to you know, attract a triple team and then toss it back outside to Jones or to you or to somebody else, He has to have the basketball. The offense has to flow through him. Folks, when you have got a unicorn on your roster, you cannot go through the Shetland Pony. And maybe that's undercutting R.J. Barrett. Zion is the unicorn. R.J. Barrett is, we can even call him a thoroughbred, whatever. Second or third place horse in the Kentucky Derby. You can call him whatever. Maybe Shetland Pony's not enough. I'm not saying he's a donkey. He's not a burrow. But R.J. Barrett can't be be the reason you win or lose in the NCAA tournament if you're due. And I said going into the tournament that three-point shooting and R.J. Barrett scared me. And Duke is out and Michigan State is in. And congratulations to Tom Izzo, who was 1-11 all-time against Mike Krzyzewski before this game and had not beaten Duke, I don't think, since 2006 in any matchup with the Blue Devils. So this is just his second win. This one comes in the Elite Eight, and it sends his team to the Final Four. And Aaron Henry, who just dominated LSU in the Sweet 16, was the one that was getting blessed out by Tom Izzo and led to all that controversy about, all oh, this coach yelling at kids, as if that's a thing that doesn't happen often. Remember, we were talking about DJ Durkin on this show last year, and I said, if you drew a football coach, if I said, hey, draw a football coach for me, what would you draw? You wouldn't draw some mild-mannered, you know, all shucks, Don Knotts, looking guy, you would draw somebody yelling, maybe salivating, throwing something down, arguing, pointing. Basketball coach would be even worse because when I say basketball coach, what's the first thing that runs through your mind? It's Bob Knight. It's not Rick Bird. It's Bob Knight. It's someone like a Bob Knight. Maybe you think of Coach K, but I usually think of somebody that's yelling that's more like a Frank Martin, like a Bob Knight that looks like a Muppet washed on hot when the camera picks him up on the sidelines. So Duke is out of this tournament. Kentucky is out of this tournament because Auburn, I don't know how you do this without a Kiki because this was an 80-53 to win for Kentucky the last time these two teams played. And there's a couple of other factors that you need to take into account in that 27-point loss 
that Kentucky just beat down Auburn. And it was the last loss for the Tigers, who haven't lost in like six weeks. Chuma Akiki did not play yesterday. He played in the game in Lexington. Reed Travis did not play for Kentucky that day. He played yesterday for Kentucky. And Auburn still won the game. And the way that they're shooting the basketball and the speed with which they're playing defense and going after the ball. I mean, McLemore and these guys on the outside, These are, I am so impressed with Auburn right now. I'm watching multiple guards playing for Bruce Pearl right now that remind me of Mookie Blaylock when he was at Oklahoma. Eyes like that, the way that they go for the basketball. Now, the defense isn't Auburn's strength, but they're underrated in that category. But there are two ways that you generally win in college basketball right now. You either shoot the three ball incredibly well, or you play lockdown, elite, almost boring defense. Look at the teams that are still alive right now. Auburn shoots the three. I mean, they shot. They completely, it was a firing squad on North Carolina in the second half on Friday night. And they just shot Kansas completely out of this tournament. Then they shot North Carolina right out of this tournament. And then they just flat out beat Kentucky. Duke couldn't shoot threes. They're home. Gonzaga had a good, efficient offense, but they ran into one of the two things that you've got to have to win right now. Elite defense. If you don't shoot threes that well, you better be able to play defense that almost puts people to sleep. And that's what Chris Beard's Texas Tech team does. And then the other one, Carson Edwards' best shooting performance I've seen outside of Steph Curry in the NBA in I don't know how long. He got beat too. And it's because Virginia started matching him in the second half when Kyle Guy put on a cape and started shooting threes himself for Virginia. But what is Virginia's calling card? Well, his father's from Wisconsin, meaning Tony Bennett's father coached at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's known for playing the most boring defense ever. Virginia is right there with him. When you watch Virginia, you think of Wisconsin, but with more skill on the perimeter. And that's kind of what we're seeing. So you've got two elite defensive teams that are in this tournament. You've got a very speedy team that can shoot a ton of threes in Auburn. And then you've got a pretty balanced team Izzo's got that can shoot threes even though they didn't shoot them well yesterday, but also plays tenacious defense and has an elite coach. And that's your final four. And unfortunately, CBS and Turner are probably not happy losing Duke, losing North Carolina, losing Kentucky. But maybe we overrate ratings to some extent. These should be some really good basketball games, if nothing else. I actually started to think Purdue would have been better to get there than Virginia, mainly because I think Carson Edwards had this it factor that you could have built around going into the Final Four as a television storyline. Virginia is not as exciting to me as a team as Carson Edwards seems to be for Purdue. But Purdue just couldn't quite get it done. And that's just, unfortunately, that, that's the way that it goes sometimes in college basketball. But that was a great game. That's as good a game as you ever want to see. 42 points for Carson Edwards. Ty Jerome played really well. Kyle Guy was good. That might be the best sporting event I've seen this year. Absolutely terrific. When we come back, a coach calls it quits here in Nashville. And we will talk about that. And you will hear from him as well as from John Feinstein. He was on the Midday 180 earlier. Rick Bird is saying goodbye and we will say goodbye to Rick Bird next here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone.
back to the Big Six here on 104.5. The Zone, a little Chris Stapleton for you, Outlaw State of Mind. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. So, 805 wins, 33 years. He's been there since Belmont was an NAIA school in 1986. And now he's decided it's time for the next chapter in my life. I don't think this comes as a surprise to most of us around here. I think that there were rumors actually kind of swirling before the NCAA tournament that this might be on the horizon once this run came to an end. But it still kind of feels like a shock to the system because I don't know what exactly Belmont basketball is without this guy. And it's something we're about to find out, certainly, as they look for their next coach. But Rick Bird is as good as they come. And I mean that as a basketball coach, as a leader, as a father figure, I think, to a lot of his players, and just as a human being in general. And, I mean, he's been so good to this radio station, always here for an interview. He's as good as they come. He's as classy as they come. He won the right way. He recruited the right way. He taught the right way. And he's been an extraordinary basketball coach for a third of a century right here in Nashville. And it's, you know, it's tough because people are not just one thing. But sometimes it can be really hard to separate the human being from the biggest category he or she falls into. Rick Bird was no doubt a college basketball coach. But think about everything else in his life. You know, husband, father, son, golf enthusiast. He's got things to do in this world. He's got things that he might want to do for himself. And while I can sit here, as can anybody else, and say, I'd have loved to see this guy take a bigger job through the years. There's also a part of me that loves the idea that he was Belmont through and through. And he steps aside following the first NCAA tournament win, he steps aside. He steps away from basketball. He steps away from the job itself, meaning the occupation, not just the one at Belmont University. There's something to be said for being Mark Few as opposed to finally, and look, he's earned the right. If he had wanted to go somewhere else, he's certainly earned that right. But he's going to be synonymous with Belmont And he's going to walk away with his head held high after a a great season and a great team and just a great group of kids year after year after year that have put on that uniform and represented Belmont University with such dignity and such talent as well. Belmont was always, look, the reason Dan Wolken hated this so much, he says, oh, the experts love Belmont. That's because they're so well coached that if you're trying to pick some kind of an upset, as a 14 or a 15 seed, Belmont always makes the most sense because you know they're going to go in there and Rick Bird's going to have them ready to play. Now, maybe the shots aren't falling that day, but he lamented it because he's just like, oh, well, everybody's on Belmont. That's because of Rick Bird. And so Rick Bird steps aside, and Rick Bird was on with 3HL a little bit earlier today. He was, he's been on uh, our station multiple times today. I'm going to let you hear a couple of cuts from this interview. The first is just about the decision, which it's not like he woke up today and decided it was time to move on with his life. This is something that he's been thinking about for some time. 
Well, I, I, I guess I would say that I, I started the year leaning in that direction. Uh, uh, but it, it, it didn't make any sense to, to me to, to say I was going to do it because I knew that my mind could change. I've always thought that I needed to, to get away from the very end of the season, no matter what, before I decided. Uh, but, uh, again, I'm going to, I'm going to be 66 at the end of this month. And, uh, I just, there was a time I, I didn't think I'd coach till I was 50, frankly. So, uh, I've gone, I've gone beyond my first standard. And, uh, so I, I think, I think that was my thought process, but I was totally open to change if that's, if, it was going to be a gut call. It, it, this is not a, really an intellectual decision. That's Rick Bird. And he says, look, I didn't know that I was going to coach until I was 50, and we were at Sports Fest, and, and it was great to get to meet you guys and see you and shake your hands and, and just hear from you on Saturday as we all sort of celebrated Nashville and celebrated the listening community that you have built with us, making it possible for us to be blessed enough to be behind these microphones talking to you each day. 13 hours a day and sometimes more. And I, I remember talking to a couple of the hosts when I was hosting the Sports Fest Live from 11 to 1 here on The Zone on Saturday and saying, you know, every year we, we don't take this for granted. We don't take for granted the fact that we might be here and the fact that there have been 10 Sports Fests and I've been a part of whatever, I think it's seven of them now. It's just kind of amazing to look back and see, you know, I've been a part of seven of these events because you never know if there's going to be an 11th. You never know if you're going to be around for an 11th or a 12th or whatever it might be. Rick Bird was there for 33 years, 800 wins. It is truly incredible what he was able to accomplish. 65 years old, 805 victories, his 12th all-time among Division I head coaches. His career conference winning percentage, second all-time behind only Mark Few of Gonzaga. Also Lincoln Memorial and Maryville assistant at Maryville and Tennessee Tech. But this is the stat that should blow your mind. Then I'm going to let you hear something else from Rick Bird. Rick Bird's retirement leaves four active Division I coaches with at least 800 wins, meaning he was the fifth. He walks away at 8.05. The other four are Jim Beheim, Bob Huggins, Roy Williams, and Mike Krzyzewski. That is the company that Rick Bird keeps in terms of the record that he leaves behind and the legacy that he leaves behind. He's also going to be among the 2019 nominees for induction into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and he'd better get in. Now, Rick Bird is going away, and he's going to go live the rest of his life, and he's going to have some fun on a lot of golf courses. Dude loves the links. But what is he going to miss about being the head coach and this leader that he's been for such a long time at Belmont? Well, the players, the relationship with the players, being a, a part of a team. I've done that for over 40 years now. Uh, I've been a, as a coach, and of course before that as a, a below-average player, but at least I was on a team uh, for a long time. And this will be the first time that's not the case, and I'm sure I'll miss that. And uh, and And then just the idea of leaving kids that you've recruited um, and that they probably thought I was going to be their coach the whole time, even though I didn't say that. Or And then, the, then I had to call the three guys that we've signed. At least I called their dads this morning. And, and they were all great, but it was it was a call I dreaded. 
to make uh, because, you know, the, the, the head coach is a big part of the decision no matter who it is. And when somebody's been there as long as I've been here, it, it may end up being a bigger part of the equation. Rick Bird was the best. Belmont, I don't know how you replace that guy. And Bird said, look, I'm not going to be a part of finding a replacement. I guess if they asked, maybe he would want to do it. But he says, that's not really my, that's not my role. That's not my right. That's up to the university. So we'll see how they land. But uh, congratulations to Rick Bird on this career and on this decision, honestly. 65 years old, time to go live it up, man. And he will. I'm sure he's going to have, there's a lot left in, in Rick Bird's life to be sure. But leaving basketball after being a part of it for such a long time, it's probably going to take some time getting used to that. News coming out just a little while ago, according to John Rothstein, a college basketball insider, long time for CBS. Sources, Memphis Grizzlies assistant Jerry Stackhouse is in contract negotiations to become the next head coach at Vanderbilt. Emerged as a primary candidate in the last 24 hours. Nothing final yet, but the two sides are headed towards a marriage. Yes, it is April Fool's Day. This is not an April Fool's joke. Right now, it looks like, according to John Rothstein, even though it's not finalized, contract negotiations between Vanderbilt and Jerry Stackhouse. 615-737-1045. Vanderbilt. Fans, how do you feel if that is the move? If Jerry Stackhouse is about to become the head basketball coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. We'll continue down this line of inquiry next here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. to the Big Six here on 104.5. The Zone, a little curveball, waking on a pretty day, even though it was cold today. Very cold. and super cold yesterday. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Well, here it is. John Rothstein. I said this right at the end of last segment. Jeff Goodman has also put this out there, as have others. From John Rothstein's Twitter about 28 minutes ago, sources Memphis Grizzlies assistant Jerry Stackhouse in contract negotiations to become the next head coach at Vanderbilt. Emerged as a primary candidate in the last 24 hours. Nothing final yet, but the two sides are headed towards a marriage. Jeff Goodman of Stadium. Vanderbilt has zeroed in on G League coach Jerry Stackhouse. Source told Stadium. Vandy AD ran the G League prior to getting the gig. And Stackhouse also has experience with AAU programs. I believe there's also a tie-in between Malcolm Turner, the, the athletic director, and North Carolina at some point in the past. But this looks like it might be about to happen. Bryce Drew is out, of course. Jerry Stackhouse is in. What do we know about Jerry Stackhouse? We know he's a really good player at North Carolina and was a tough, tough NBA player as well. And if you're kind of going along this pathway, you know, Penny Hardaway is sitting there at Memphis. A lot of reason for the reason he is there is because of what he can do from a recruiting standpoint and into where he's basically a hero and an idol to a lot of people, especially in the basketball community. But if you look at the SEC coaching ranks, it is truly loaded. And, of course, you've got Bruce Pearl that's going to be coaching Auburn in the Final Four this coming weekend, and John Calipari, who went out yesterday. But if you look top to bottom, it is a pretty talented league. So Jerry Stackhouse, 
and it's not an April Fool's joke. At first, I, I wondered if it was because it's the day. I hate April Fool's, by the way. Especially the people that come up with really outlandish stuff and think that it's clever, as if we can't see through this. But this is not. First off, it wouldn't have been funny from John Rothstein because it made sense. And this name had popped up on 24-7 message boards and things like that for a couple of days. But Jeff Goodman backs it up. Other college basketball experts are, are also saying the exact same thing right now. So this looks like it might be a thing, folks. Vanderbilt's next head basketball coach, not that long of a search to get to Jerry Stackhouse. So if you're a Vanderbilt fan, Ryan Mudd can take your phone call if you want to talk to me about it. I will throw everything else to the wayside if you want to talk to me at 615-737-1045, 737-1045. From Bryce Drew to Jerry Stackhouse, is that the name that you were looking for? Are you surprised, happy, disappointed? Again, it's not done, but it sure sounds like it because a whole lot of people have put their name behind it over the last half hour or so that would have egg on their face. Doesn't mean that everything can happen, and if they're still in negotiations, maybe they can't come to a negotiation, but it seems to have been pretty widely reported now that Jerry Stackhouse had major interest in becoming a head coach somewhere. There were some that believed maybe he would get some looks in the NBA, but maybe Vanderbilt is the right job for him. Vanderbilt has a pretty rich basketball tradition. I don't know how this is going to play. Like I'm sitting here, and I can't really tell you, man, this is a great hire if it happens, or this is a, a putrid hire if it happens. I don't know because I don't know anything about Jerry Stackhouse overall as a coach. I know he's a brilliant basketball mind. You know, Rasheed Wallace just took over as a high school coach in the state of North Carolina. Those two guys played together at UNC in the mid-'90s, and both of them were known for having a high basketball IQ. Now, you know you know Rasheed for a lot of technical fouls, but he's also incredibly smart. If you've seen him on the Area 21 stuff or just on TNT being an analyst, he understands the game really well. I'll be very interested to see where Rasheed Wallace is in five or ten years because basketball acumen like that that can also relate to you know a lot of the kids that are coming up that could be potential recruits because Rasheed knows how that process works. Same thing with Penny Hardaway. Same thing with a Jerry Stackhouse. And maybe that's what it is. Just making sure that you can get the best talent in the door. So Jerry Stackhouse, according to John Rothstein of CBS, Jeff Goodman of Stadium and others over the past half hour has emerged as in-contract negotiations with Vanderbilt to assume control of the men's basketball program. Jerry Stackhouse, former NBA player and certainly former star Tar Heel under Dean Smith. 615-737-1045. Let's go to Brian in Nashville with a take on this. Brian, what say you? Hey, man. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, in- interesting news about, about Stackhouse. I'm not real high on it, and here's why. I just I always reflect back to Charlie White. I know it's a different sport, but but similar, you know, similar thing. Everybody was pretty excited. Excellent NFL career gets to Notre Dame, and then just slowly, you know, disintegrates. And I mean, there's been multiple other, you know, examples. Um, and I guess you can pull up some examples for the other way too. But Vanderbilt is a different beast. I mean, first off, tuition is close to 60000 a year, I mean, that, that alone is, a, is something you have to, to try to negotiate, even though you have full rides for all your players, but it's just a different beast, and I, I'm just not thinking it's going to work out real well. We just don't know. That's the thing. Like, if you start to think of, I mean, think about some of the guys that are now coaches in college basketball and guys that are trying to get involved in it. I mean, look at the list. 
Patrick Ewing, and Danielle Marshall, and Chris Mullen, and Damon Stoudemire, and Terry Porter, and Penny Hardaway, obviously right here. Even Walter McCarty is a coach in college basketball. And now maybe Jerry Stackhouse is going to join the SEC and become Vanderbilt's head coach. According to basically everybody, that is what looks like it's about to happen. I mean, this guy hasn't really had to recruit ever. But you would assume maybe he's a former player. He can speak to them in a way that they can relate to. And maybe that gives him, you know, a leg up. He has had no coaching experience in college at all. And then there's the other thing. And this, look, he was with the Grizzlies organization. He was in the G League as well. Maybe he still wants to be in the NBA. The one thing Vanderbilt doesn't want to become is a stepping stone kind of program. I graduated from Western Kentucky. And I watched that football program because Todd Stewart is such a great athletic director. He knew getting Petrino that he was going to end up hopefully being able to keep Jeff Brom behind. He knew Petrino wasn't going to stay there long term. Maybe he thought Taggart would, but Taggart had so much success he was able to leave. And then Brom gave him a couple of good years and then left. And look, Mike Sanford, it didn't work out. And we'll see what's going to happen with Tyson Helton. But stepping stone programs, it's almost like having a one and done on your team where you have to continually refocus these mercenaries. Is Stackhouse a long-term guy that's going to stay at Vanderbilt? Or is he going to end up with the 76ers or somewhere like that in the NBA? That is the one thing that would scare me. If he's successful, is he going to stay at the University of Vanderbilt? That becomes the question. We're going to take our final break right now. We'll come back 615-737-1045. Again, according to Stadium, according to now the Tennessean, Adam Sparks has written about this as well. Jerry Stackhouse in negotiations to become the next head basketball coach for the University of Vanderbilt. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment tonight here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling renters warehouse the rent estate company i won't be on tomorrow because lipscomb keeps winning basketball games so nit semifinals in my place tomorrow wichita state against lipscomb tip time right at six so the big six will be in the hands of lipscomb tomorrow by the way it is vanderbilt university I would say that it's April Fool's that I keep calling it University of Vanderbilt, but I'm just an idiot. I just got that one wrong. My bad. Jerry, and the reason why I got that wrong is because this news comes through and I'm trying to sort of scroll through. And at first I wondered, is this an April Fool's prank? Because that's a thing that's happening all day today. But it's not. John Rothstein, in case you just tuned in and have not been on social media over the past 49 minutes, he was the first one to report it. Now it's been followed up by Jeff Goodman and other college basketball insiders. Rothstein's tweet sources Memphis Grizzlies assistant Jerry Stackhouse is in contract negotiations to become the next head coach at Vanderbilt emerged as the primary candidate in the last 24 hours nothing final yet but the two sides are headed towards a marriage Aaron Torres who works for Fox and also does some KSR stuff up in Lexington He tweeted out five minutes ago, want to know how college coaching hires really work? Here goes. Vandy hires an AD whose last job was G League commissioner. He fires the coach and two weeks later hires the 2017 G League coach of the year. Maybe Stackhouse will be great, 
but Vandy's AD is clearly helping his buddy. Now, Stackhouse was the D-League, now the G-League, Coach of the Year in 2017. He led the Raptors 905 team to a league championship. Coached there from 16 to 18, then became a Grizzlies assistant before the start of this season. And according to Adam Sparks' article, with the Grizzlies, Stackhouse has received credit for helping four former Raptors players transition to Memphis after the season's second half. One thing we know, and I said this about Rasheed Wallace in the previous segment, these two guys played together at North Carolina. They're both known for being high basketball IQ guys that really understand the game. Also, Stackhouse has been lauded for being exceptional at player development. Now, what he's never had to do is recruit, and he doesn't have any real college coaching experience at all. But this is certainly a name that will speak to younger potential recruits. And maybe that's just what you want. And maybe there's something to what Aaron Torres is saying about this potentially being him helping out his buddy, bringing in somebody that he knows. But if Jerry, I have no idea. That's the thing. Like I can sit here and it's hard to really parse this story and go into, is this a good hire or a bad hire? I will say this, no college coaching experience to speak of. And his first gig is in the SEC. He goes right into a power five high-end coaching gig without any college basketball experience to speak of as a coach. This isn't quite the same as Jason Witten walking straight off the NFL gridiron into the biggest booth in all of sports announcing on Monday Night Football and failing. It's not quite the same as that because he has done this job on different levels. But college is a much different animal than what he's used to. Recruiting is a lot of it, and maybe he is a great recruiter or he could become a great recruiter. But this is certainly an interesting move, firing Bryce Drew and bringing in Jerry Stackhouse. You're not bringing in some very experienced coach. You're bringing in somebody that won in the developmental league of the NBA and was getting a lot of credit for what he was doing for the Memphis Grizzlies as an assistant mainly focused on player development. But that is the news. Again, if you just tuned in, Grizzlies assistant, and former UNC standout Jerry Stackhouse, good NBA player as well, in negotiations right now to become the next head coach at Vanderbilt University, the men's basketball program there. So Bryce drew out, Jerry Stackhouse in. There is still time to get in if you want to join me and and talk about it at 615-737-1045. I don't know what else really to say about it right now. We will find out, one, if it happens, And then we'll just have to wait and see because we just don't know enough. So I can't tell you it's a good hire or a bad hire. I can say it's kind of a baffling hire just because there's so much unknown about it. But it is definitely a bold swing and a big swing for Malcolm Turner to bring in Stackhouse. And if it works, great. My question continues to be, if he succeeds at Vanderbilt, how long is Jerry Stackhouse going to stay at Vanderbilt when NBA jobs start calling? Because Vanderbilt doesn't need to become the job that you use to get a better job. Vanderbilt needs to be a destination program. That's what everybody goals to be. But if you're in the SEC, you should not be a stepping stone. And so time will tell on that as well. I was going to do pro and con. I don't know that we're going to have full time to do this. But I can tell you that I'll just say quickly, the con is Brady faking his retirement on Twitter, joining Twitter, and then Tom Brady says, I'm retiring. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on Twitter. Ha, 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 ha. April Fool's is lame. Well, you know what? I say that, but sometimes April Fool's is actually pretty good. If the if the con is good, then that sometimes works. I remember my mom calling me at one point several years ago 
and saying that I was about to have a brother or sister because she was pregnant. And I bought it. I didn't even think about what day it was. Turned out that was not true. Would have been fine having a sibling other than my half-brother. But turned out not to be the case. But there's a whole lot of lame people out there doing that. There's companies out here. McDonald's puts out shake sauces via Instagram for nuggets. It's vanilla, strawberry, shamrock, and chocolate. And then they announced the McPickle Burger in Australia earlier today. Nintendo turns one of their most beloved characters, Kirby, into a cube, creates a website for it, and it crashes because so many people are going there to see the new Kirby and to yell about it. And then Tinder joked that they were adding a height verification badge, I guess, to displace short dudes that are trying to get dates or other things off of that app. I just think April Fool's is kind of lame. What's not lame is Veep. Veep came back last night for its final season. Most jokes per capita in the history of television, nothing else is even close. It's so filthy in terms of the language that I've kind of backed away from it, but it's still one of the most brilliant comedies of all time. The dialogue and the one-liners, the insults, they're so fast. Like, it's a Chip Kelly Oregon team. It's a Nolan Richardson Arkansas team. It's like Paul Westhead. There's a reason that it keeps winning so many awards and garnering so many nominations because it didn't have the components that a lot of sitcoms do that bring them down. And this is something that I'm going to talk about uh, maybe on, on Wednesday's program. Here again, tomorrow night, Lipscomb will be in the NIT playing against against Wichita State, so I won't be on, but I'll be on on Wednesday, and I can go into this a little bit more detail. But one thing is, it doesn't rely on kids, and that helps because as kids get older, these shows fall apart because they don't know what to do. The kids end up going to college, then they have to bring them back home. Very few shows are able to get this right. Veep instead is about the adults acting like kids rather than the kids being kids. And then it's about the writing. And even though Armando Iannucci left the show a couple of seasons ago as the showrunner and the guy that created it to go do The Death of Stalin, which was probably the most underrated film last year at the movies, the replacement that came in, David Mandel, as soon as he came in, the show actually somehow got better. And that's stunning. Like, that never happens. When Aaron Sorkin left the West Wing, uh, that didn't work out real well. I mean, it was still good, but it was nowhere near the same show. But I'll be able to go into more detail about Veep. I might talk about Barry as well, and I want to talk about Killing Eve, which is maybe the best show you're not watching on TV right now that Season 2 is going to begin on BBC America uh, coming up a week from yesterday. So this coming Sunday, you'll be able to do that. I got a stat for you again about R.J. Barrett and Duke. Let's go ahead and make you smarter on the way out the door. So I told you R.J. Barrett likes to shoot too much, and the ball needs to go through the unicorn and not the Shetland Pony. Duke lost three games with Zion Williamson in the lineup this year. R.J. Barrett in the final minute of those three games went 0-9 for from the field. The rest of the team only had three total shots. Zion Williamson in those three games in the final minute, the three losses he was on the floor, Zion Williamson had precisely one shot. One shot. And now Duke has zero shots because they're out. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Saying goodnight.